This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hey, my name is Chris Nelson, and I am the Senior Manager of Legal Marketing at CallRail. Chris, thank you for being here. We're going to have a good conversation today. I think when we start digging into marketing, one of the biggest things that people have a hard time with is where to spend their money because they feel like there are so many places out there, so many opportunities, so many things demanding their attention in their wallet, and so many places for waste, right? So we're going to talk about ROI, which I have an MBA and we spend a lot of time in my MBA talking about how to maximize any of your spending so that you've got some kind of a return. Um, so let's let's dig into it. Let's start first in talking about, I know you guys have this great report that you put out, the 2023 Outlook on marketing. So give us some stats from that great report and tell us a little bit more about where people are spending and wasting and where their frustrations are. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Karin. Unfortunately, in law school, you know, as opposed to your MBA program, they didn't teach us about ROI. Yeah. So... <laughs> That's something that is not a required class in law school. I would say within the 2023 Legal Marketing Outlook, what you find is what we did was we surveyed about 600 total either law firms or agencies that were working with law firms. About 450 of them were law firms themselves. And you find in a lot of cases, yes, they're very, very confident in their marketing strategies. In fact, 78% were confident in their marketing strategies, which is an amazing statistic to me. But at the same time, 70% of them could not understand the ROI for their marketing activities. So it really led me to believe, you know, the, the question is, where is that confidence coming from? Yeah. So what did you find out? So, so many people are just kind of throwing money at marketing. They really have no idea what's working. And they know that there's, you know, there's that famous quote, you know, I know half of my marketing spend is not working. I just don't know which half. So they just keep throwing the money. And so what did you find out in terms of, have you figured out like how to kind of get the metrics on this done any in, in any better way so that they can reduce that waste of that, that unknown half? Well, I think you got to start with what we found was 36% of law firms are still manually reporting any type of marketing metrics with Excel spreadsheets. So it starts with an understanding and a tracking of metrics. And that's where lawyers and law firms just are not at the vanguard of what is going on in other industries. Yeah. So give me some examples. What's what are because I find this in to be the case in most in most examples of technology. You know, when we're doing websites, people are looking at technology that was 
considered fancy and innovative like five years ago. And typically, you know, and, you know, to be fair to lawyers, it's their job to be risk averse. And so like they're going to kind of pull back typically and be like, oh, let's just wait and see what everybody else does. And then we'll make a decision about this when it feels a little more safe. And, <laughs> you know, there's some places where I feel comfortable doing that, too. Like I, I never want to get the first version of a phone. I want to wait till they get the bugs figured out and all that. But then there's a point when that kind of conservative approach is damaging, right? And so where where is that kind of safe place where people should you know kind of figure out, you know, how to be innovative, I guess is the word, but you know that's a little little much for the legal industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like you said, the majority of people who are in a, in a law firm setting, their product, their business is not the marketing. Their product is the actual legal work product. And so they're spending their time on that as opposed to spending their time on the marketing activities that are driving the clients. When we were looking at law firms, if you look in the report, 65% don't know what metrics to track and measure. So that's really a, a point of where the, the education has to be an understanding of, okay, these are the, the metrics we should track, as, you know, especially as it relates to, okay, you have leads. Are you generating leads? Are you generating conversions? You know, are those consultations coming out of those leads? Are those consultations leading to cases? Are they leading to cases or clients that might have repeat business? You know, all of those are ways that or or metrics that have to be tracked in order for the firm to have even a remote understanding of things like their customer acquisition cost. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So let's back up because you said they don't know where to start in terms of metrics. So what's your recommendation? I mean, I you kind of mentioned some of these things, these kind of customer acquisition costs, whether it's leading to conversions, where should a typical firm start in terms of metrics and and figuring out like what what are the numbers we need to look at? What numbers matter? <laughs> Is it our Google Analytics? Should we just look at the top number amount of traffic coming into the entire website? Because that's what a lot of my clients do. They come in to, and they're like, we had X number of visitors last month and this month it's, you know, Y. And, you know, and that's that's the number they're looking at. And, and so then we have a conversation. But wh where do you say to start? Well, I think metrics-wise, you need to start with some basic marketing metrics. So customer acquisition cost, marketing acquisition cost, and understanding of a couple of the different things to track, like we touched on earlier. So can the actual leads generated, are they generating consultations, which is the next basic step you know, in the client journey? Are those consultations then becoming clients? Okay, so how do you track that? I mean, obviously, you've got the phone call, and how do how do typical firms track all, all of those sort of phases of that customer journey? That goes into you know a little bit of what we were saying in terms of not adopting the technology. If you look at what is currently being used, it's a lot of siloed statistics. So, like you said, Google Analytics, Twitter Analytics, Facebook Insights. Supermetrics, all of those are 40% or higher in terms of what legal marketers are currently using. Unfortunately, I think you get into a situation where as a law firm, you're not seeing the complete picture of where your leads are coming from. And then 
beyond that where you're not seeing the complete picture, but you're also not being able to tie it all together and close the loop with your actual case revenue. Yeah. Okay. So what do you, how do you see that whole picture? What do you recommend? Dashboards? You talked about a lot of the people that you're talking to start out and they are tracking this stuff on like a spreadsheet or or maybe just in their head. So how do you, how do you do better? Well, I think that's where our tool comes in. CallRail has both call tracking and form tracking solutions. So you're you're sticking with an understanding of, and, and it can get to a really sophisticated level. So if you've got a, maybe you're a firm that's only running billboards and only running TV ads, right? Those are both sources. You can track those sources and have an understanding of, okay, these are the leads that are being generated by those sources. But if you are running something that's more sophisticated, like a PI firm might be doing some kind of digital marketing, there's a heavy amount of pay-per-click that's going on within that space. Then you want to get into a little bit deeper level, which would be visitor level tracking, which is basically being able to, to generate a new phone number for each time somebody comes to your website so that you can then tie that phone number to the actual individual lead coming to the website. Okay. All right. So, and just to back up real quick, so people who don't aren't familiar with CallRail, it's it's a software that's going to customize these these phone tracking, and it's you know basically offer phone tracking software for your website and all of your marketing activities, right? Is that how yeah. you would describe it? Yeah. I mean, I, we we describe ourselves as a lead intelligence platform. So basically, it, it gives you an understanding. It's it's marketing analytics that gives you an understanding of where your leads are coming from. And that allows you to take those leads and turn them into better customers. Okay, so you've got these leads, you've got these phone numbers, and you've get, you get a potential lead coming in. And then what's the process from, at, from that point to make sure that it either, to kind of follow up and at least see the entire picture of that, of that experience for that particular lead? I think it's when, if you're a law firm and, and they've been slow to adopt this piece of technology too, that gets into CRMs and taking your CRM, and the CRM is really the bridge between the lead intelligence that we offer and then the case revenue and the case management that a practice management software might provide, like a Clio, like a MyCase, like a Filevine. Right, and so those are going to then plop that information into your whatever system you're using to track all of that, hopefully it's not a spreadsheet and and then follow through that that lead through the the rest of the process to make sure that you have that visibility you know full picture visibility so you also mentioned social media how can you track leads in that case that are coming through social media you can utilize tracking software or tracking numbers on that as well tracking phone numbers yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so then how does this lead? So you, so, so the big topic and the question we're an- answering is how you can get the highest ROI. How does this then lead to a better return on the investment for that marketing spend? I mean, how, what is that, what is tracking all of this have to do with save, not saving money, but making a better return on, on your money? So in order to be able to optimize your spend, you've got to know what's working and what's not. Once you know what's working and what's not, then you can go in there and sit there and say, okay, 
I'm spending this amount of money on this. I'm spending this amount of money on this. This is generating X number of leads. It's costing me X dollars. It's not really working. You know, I'm getting five leads when I should be getting 50 for this cost. And I can shift my spend to areas where I'm going to be making, having a more significant impact. There we go. Yeah. So it's just information. And, you know, you can't make the right decisions without this kind of information because you're just guessing otherwise, right? You're just saying, I think somebody mentioned Instagram. So let's throw some money over there. (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't know, maybe. And I will be I will be honest, so many of my clients come in that way. They're like, you know, w- when we have these initial conversations where what are you doing now? What's working? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I get a lot of referrals. <laughs> it's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so what do you what do you say to those clients who start? Because I, I feel like most marketing conversations with lawyers start with, I don't know, I get a lot of referrals. So what do you say to those clients who think that their entire marketing strategy is and should be based on referrals. I think you know one of the if we back up a little bit and understand with respect to the overall you know marketing is not just generating leads marketing is also you know the strategy behind what is the audience that you're trying to get what type of client are you looking for and so I think in that situation you've really got to have them have a conversation with the lawyer or the law firm that says what audience are you looking for? What client are you trying to get? Based off of that, here's where we think that you could be beneficial. You know, referrals might be worthwhile in certain practice areas. You know, they may be the primary driver of where you're getting your clients from and will always be the primary driver of those clients. But in other situations, if that's not what they want, if they want to grow into a national level personal injury firm, then they've got to move beyond referrals and get into an understanding of what types of marketing activities, what types of marketing channels are going to lead to that type of success. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just when you mentioned marketing channels, that's that's basically how I see referrals. It's one of your channels. But if that's your entire marketing strategy, it's going to be, it's, it's a little scary. You know, that's pretty high risk because you have no control over what your referrals are doing day in and day out. And you're just kind of sitting there with your fingers crossed saying, you know, I hope. <laughs> it's like, that's not really a very good business strategy. <laughs> okay, so I, I noticed that you've got this discussion on your website about tracking meaningful moments. What is that? And, and why does that matter? I think it. You know, the meaningful moments, there are different parts, there's different times in the customer journey, in the client journey, where you've got to have the right response, have the right way to communicate with that potential client. And that's really where it's just a question of, are you, is your whole experience designed to drive that prospective client to become a client. Yes, yeah. I'm gonna share with you an experience I just had earlier this week where I was the potential client and I won't go too much into detail about who it was because it was something in the, you know, the work-related world where I was, you know, looking to be I was looking to spend money on an event and my first and and I am also constantly fascinated just by the sales process. I love to get in these conversations and hear how other people do it and and kind of listen to what their process is and 
So I get on the phone and the first thing is they sound like they just woke up. They don't know how to pronounce my name, which understand, you know, it looks like Karen. It's not. And then they said, oh, so your company is and I had they scheduled the call with me. So they I had provided my website. So all it took was 10 seconds, like just pull up my website. It's right there. It's on the Internet. It's live. They had the wrong name. And then the first thing they said is, They started asking me about my company and then they said, I've never even heard of you. And so (laughs) I just kind of started laughing and I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. And then it just went south from there. And I, I tried to help this sales process, but I just kept thinking, man, if this was one of my clients and I was walking them through this process, this would be kind of a fascinating case study of how to understand where things are not going well. And I know that you guys have done some of this research about kind of this, what's the word I'm looking for, where you kind of go in and the, the, you're, you're, pretending, you're calling and pretending to be a potential client and kind of figuring out what their intake process is like? Sure, like a secret shopper. Yes, 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 that's what I'm looking for. So um, what have you found in terms of that part of the the process and obviously that's part of marketing i feel like people don't think of sales and marketing as you know a bigger part of the picture but where where does that fit into the this whole big picture in terms of how you track things and and how that relates to the kind of an overall marketing strategy i mean i think it starts with that client experience is a component of your overall marketing efforts. It is every touch point that you have with a prospective client or an actual client is part of the brand and the brand experience that your law firm is providing. And so if you don't have everything to convey what you are trying to convey so that your prospective client perceives that you can be trusted that you can actually do the work that they want to work with you, then it becomes a situation where you're losing out. And I actually think that, especially as it relates to law firms, the thought process is a lot of marketing tactics and not much either marketing strategy on the understanding of what audience to look for and that whole brand experience that you can provide as a lawyer. Yeah, because honestly, I keep thinking about this experience and I think, okay, so this is, pretend this was, I was a potential client and this was a law firm and they had spent all this money on pay-per-click and advertising and putting out this great website and then they get on the phone with a potential intake person because the person I was talking to was not the principal and they blow it and that person just totally blows the entire experience so going back to this idea of memorable moments and how you can track that where are there certain kind of key memorable moments that you recommend or do you how does that kind of work into this whole process do you sort of say okay let's let's take these main ideas and like and we want to track that or see if I guess what I'm trying to get at is how do you figure out where it's falling apart if it's falling apart at a certain place? Sure. You know, one of the amazing stats that we had from our findings was that lawyers who we surveyed only believed 45% of their new clients visited their website. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that that blew That's me crazy. away. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, that that kind of was 
a, a okay, you obviously have a blind spot in terms of where you're seeing your people come in and seeing prospective clients come in. But two, like not to recognize the website is the basically the front door to your firm. I can't, I really cannot come up with an example of a prospective client or an actual client that I worked with in my practice who had not visited like a LinkedIn page or a website. Exactly. Yeah. And so they are assuming that 45% of their potential clients have gone to their website. So this clearly downplays the value of that website in in these people that are being surveyed. But what's the reality of it? How, what is the actual percentage of, you know, obviously the calls that you guys are tracking and, and in your report, what's the reality of how many people are visiting the website before they make those those calls or contact? It is something where 90% of people are seeing the website. It's the front door to your firm. It's the first meaningful touch point that you have beyond any type of actual outreach that you're doing. Right. And it makes so much sense because you can do it anonymously, you know, in, in most ways. And you really want to just get this gut check. Like, okay, I'm about to invest, even if it's just you know, 10 minutes to make a phone call. It's 10 minutes. I'm going to invest some of my time. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call this person. But who who is this? And, you know, who am I talking to? And and is this going to be worth it? What? How do I feel going into this? And the only way you can know going in is a website. <laughs> like, you're not going to call them and say, hey, can you send me your resume real quick before our call? <laughs> like, why would you do that? That's weird. <laughs> you know? Okay, so by half, people are undervaluing and under expecting what, you know, roughly what they think people are, where they think people are visiting before they they make those phone calls. So, you know, assume that basically everybody's going to come to your website before they schedule a call or reach out to contact you. Maybe there's the rare referral that, you know, one out of 10 is got your name and for some reason they just didn't visit the site, but they're the exception. Yeah, or they trust the referring source so much that they don't have to, you know, but that that's going to be very extremely rare. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so, so where, so go, to go back to that, I, I'm really kind of stuck in this meaningful moments idea because I just feel like it's so important and it's like a great visual in terms of like this customer journey. So let's assume the, they start either with the referral, like some contact or your website. And either way, they're going to go to your website. And then they somehow reach out. It's probably going to be a phone call, maybe a contact form, right? And so, so we've got, either two or three meaningful moments so far. And then and then what? Where are the other places that you talk about kind of meaningful moments that, that should be, that I'm aligning with a trackable moment at, at the same time? Sure. Well, I mean, you, you referenced the phone call, and I think that is, you know, especially within a law firm setting, which tends to be a situation where more prospective clients are contacting than other industries may be. You know, you've got... Those two situations, yes, it might be a contact us form, but that's not really the same type of meaningful moment that a phone call is. And I think that's where you can really get into a situation where, especially if you're a small firm, you may not have a receptionist. You may not have somebody who's answering the phone. You may be the one who's answering the phone. Um, and if you are a lawyer who who's in court, who's meeting with a client, who's doing things like that, 
a phone call, you might not pick up the phone. And that can run into issues because what we found is, you know, slow response times are costing law firms clients. A hundred percent. Yeah. People are making those phone calls and they are not answering the phone. And when they don't answer the phone, they're moving on. Of course. Right. I mean, it's logical. Like this is what you're going to do, especially in a moment of crisis, which in a lot of cases, these are going to be either a moment of crisis or, or some excuse me, somewhat of an urgent need. So if you are not responsive in your first impression, why would I continue this path? You know, I'm going to move on to someone who is and then hope that that's going to be my experience going forward with that firm. So what do you recommend? Do you recommend, you know, getting receptionist service or obviously people can't pick up the phone 24 seven, like we all have things going on in our life, we have to eat lunch, you know, (laughs) I definitely recommend some type of receptionist service. If you are not able to, if, if the firm is not large enough to budget in somebody who is actually on your team, you have to have some type of service that will answer your phone calls. You just can't not do that. You're missing, you're missing leads, you're missing clients, you're missing cases by not having that. Yeah. And honestly, the cost involved is, is so reasonable where it's not, you're not getting a full-time you know, salaried position and the potential for loss that you, like you're, kind of alluding to is so much greater than the cost of that receptionist service. And I really recommend an actual human receptionist service, not just a voicemail or whatever, because that it's not the same. It's like not even on the same in the same universe, as far as I'm concerned. You need a human who's going to answer and potentially hook it up with your calendar system and, you know, get get them to that next step. Okay, so what other are there any other kind of meaningful, trackable moments that that are kind of critical in this whole process that that you that you kind of talk about? Once you get to a consultation stage, which would be the next absolute trackable moment that you would want to track, and you're going to track it not necessarily in our in any type of lead intelligence software, that's where you're going to get into a CRM situation. But that is a real, that is where things become hairy in terms of how law firms really are able to track stuff. Right. So what do, what do firms do wrong in those cases? A lot of times they don't put the information in the system. <laughs> so that's definitely something that's a that challenge. is out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, garbage in, garbage out. And, you know, lawyers are notorious for not necessarily liking to do those types of administrative tasks. Yeah. Well, and I will, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I will say I have a receptionist service because I hate answering the phone. And I have people on my team who cover those areas that I hate to do. So I don't think we all need to kind of take a look at the things we hate doing and then just do them. I think we need to find those gaps and then find people who are great at that and make sure that you're you're covered like answering the phone i've got people who answer the this receptionist service i have they are so much more friendly than i ever am and they make me look better like so so in those kinds of examples like if you recognize that i am really bad at my intake process and i have a bad habit of not filling out these details that doesn't mean you just keep doing that <laughs> Right? I mean, let's let's take that as a problem we need to solve. Right? Absolutely. Well, especially like we we found that the average law firms are estimating that their response times, those slow response times, 
are costing them 64 clients. Oh my per gosh. Year. Okay, so everybody needs to do the math. What would another 64 clients each year do to your firm? And for sure, this is going to cover the receptionist service. For sure, this is going to cover some type of intake process if that is your weak point. So take these weak points and then just make a system out of it. You know, make it systematic so that you don't just continue in those weak points. You recognize, okay, I need I need to fix this. I need to find a solution to this because a 64 additional clients per year on average across all the practice areas and all that stuff, that's a lot of money. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it more than pays, you know, more the the introduction of some type of improved intake, be it a receptionist or assistant that you have in your firm itself or a service that you're working with, is more than paid for by those additional clients. And they make you look better because I'm not very persuadable. Exactly, exactly. And it just, it, it makes your firm more trustworthy. It makes the whole process better. So coming back full circle to everything we've been talking about, like the return on the investment for those things, it should be multiple times over. And you should pretty quickly be able to see that. So I'm going to spend X amount on a receptionist. And l- hey, look at that. I got two new clients this this month that I probably wouldn't have answered the phone for and they probably would have gone somewhere else. Okay, so you can pretty much track that. Or, you know, the return on a better intake system or whatever these things are, you should absolutely be able to track it and it should be returning, it should be returning multiple times over. So, all right, so it is now time for the book review. So I know you have one of my all-time classic favorites to talk about. So what's the book that you have to suggest for everyone who is wondering about the book today? The book that I love, and it is a classic, is Built to Last. It's by Jim Collins. You know, basically a survey of multiple different companies and multiple different industries where they took a what I would describe as a market leader who had been around for a long time who had lasted and compared it to other companies within those same industries who while they might have been successful at some point in time they had not lasted in the same way yeah so what is I was just trying to remember the the famous quote about Perfection being the enemy of, what is it? Do you remember? Because this, I feel like, is so important. And perfection is the enemy of, like, basically getting things done. So he also wrote Good to Great, right? And he talks a lot about these just classic, classic business ideas. And this book, I want to say, was written, I want to say, close to 20 years ago, don't you think? I, I don't know exactly. I can pull it up. We'll obviously link to the book in the show notes and all that good stuff. But it has been around long enough and it has stood the test of time. So this is actually a perfect, great example of evergreen content. <laughs> like just to kind of have a little was, left turn here. <laughs> you know, mid, mid-1990s. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm not wrong about the 20-year thing. But he talks about things that are foundational, where he talks about this idea of people over-perfecting and kind of getting into the minutia of the detail at the expense of having things just done and moving forward and kind of launching. And he talks about all these business concepts that people are still writing books about to this day, but he was kind of one of the core first people that ever kind of got out there and was talking about these ideas. He's amazing. It's a, if you have not read this one, you're seriously missing out. <laughs> this was one of my very first business books I read. It's interesting because it does, you know, they, they do go into that comparison between like Procter & Gamble and Colgate. 
that type of comparison where it's industry specific and they can pull out some of these different practices that were being done by a company that had lasted and continued to to build itself as opposed to one that was had had been potentially the early industry leader and had been surpassed. What I love about these business books that they're, you know, big corporations, huge companies with thousands of people. This is very different from a law firm usually. But there are these they have their marketing campaigns. They have tens of thousands of dollars that they're putting in. And so the data they're getting from marketing and just these general business concepts are so well researched and they've got so much information that you can really distill it and you know pull it into any kind of a business. And these lessons are like invaluable. They really are just critical. And it kind of reminds me of all the fun case studies we did in business school. And I say that kind of joking. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like you said, it's a fascinating book. It's, you know, like the thought process of one of the one of the chapters is tyranny of the or no tyranny of the or. So no either or propositions. You'll work with the and you can do this and this, you know, that kind of thought process. Another one, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goals. That was one that was you know fundamental and has trickled into the overall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I think I keep coming back to for this book is that these ideas are things that people just say all the time now that have just become part of the basic language of business now. So once again, if you haven't read Built to Last, you got to do it. (laughs) Get the audio version, do something like, you know, just see some kind of summary. But it's it's a core business book. It's really good. All right. So, Chris, what is one big takeaway that you'd like people to get from this episode? Well, I mean, I think it's important as lawyers and law firms move into this year and as we go further along, I just think it's important that they understand the need to know the metrics that are out there that are important for their business that are used in other industries, and then the tools and the technology that's available to them. It's light years from when I was practicing 15 years ago. You do not have, I, I could do so much more now than I could then. And to the ability to utilize those tools, not only for your whole law firm operation, but in particular for the marketing that you're doing, is just an, an incredible opportunity. Yeah. And to be honest, there's a lot of firms that are doing the same things in the same ways that they have been for since you were practicing. So for the last 10 to 15 years. And it's like, if it ain't fixed, if it ain't broken, why fix it? You know, but it's like, but let's just assume that if you started doing something, especially with technology 15 years ago, it is broken. Like you've got to kind of keep your eyes open and recognize that there's new, better ways of doing things that are not just going to save you time, but lots of money and probably bring in better business. Sure. Well, it's interesting. Like when <laughs> yeah. I when I started practicing, you know, I, I had I was in what I call the go-go years, right? Oh five, oh six, oh seven was a very, very different time economically because, especially in real estate, which was probably 50% of my practice, the money was flowing freely. Then 08 happened and everything changed overnight. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting because you look at all of these technology tools and a lot of them come out of that post-2008 situation where people could then adopt technology to really move their firm forward. Yeah. 
I think it's been fascinating. I've been in this world during that same recession time, but then also through this pandemic, and to see how these sort of grand global economic events have forced the legal industry to kind of jump forward where they might not have otherwise. So that's where we're at now. Like we are now at the point where lawyers are meeting with their clients on Zoom. And before the pandemic, that was weird. Like that felt awkward and not quite right. But now Zoom is so normal and it's like, I'm in Orange County. To drive up to LA for a meeting is ridiculous. Like, I, why would I waste an entire day to do that when I can do it on Zoom? And, you know, three, four years ago, that that probably wouldn't have been an option. It's like, okay, what is Zoom? Where's the link? You know, so once again, just acknowledge that technology is your friend. It can make you more money. It can, you know, increase your, your efficiency, but it's not something to bury your ha- head in the sand about. So... All right, so Chris Nelson is the Senior Manager of Vertical and Legal Marketing, I guess we'll just say the whole thing, <laughs> at CallRail. So recognize that CallRail is a great piece of technology that you should definitely check out. It allows you to kind of track all of your, your leads, all your processes, and kind of integrate your systems in a way that you can kind of track things. <laughs> you can know what's happening. <laughs> so thanks so much for being here. That was an awesome conversation. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.